Hi, I'm Liz Ware. And I'm Raelle Bell, and you're listening to That's Brilliant, a podcast by the American Lighting Association. So today we are talking about, well, first we're going to talk a little bit about color rendering index, which I'm sure most of you have heard of that measures the, well, it attempts to measure, <laughs> right? The, the way that light sources render color in a space. Mm-hmm. And as we'll hear, there is a better way of doing that now. Yes. Color rendering index leaves a lot of stuff out. So we're going to talk today about TM30. Yes. Our guest today, Jason Livingston, is the principal of Studio T&L, which has dual specialties in architectural lighting design and theater planning. He is also the co-chair of the Illuminating Engineering Society's Color Committee, which you'll learn plays a role in (laughs) developing TM30. Mm -hmm. He's a regular speaker on the topic of TM30, and he's also authored guides for IES on lighting design and color. And he is the author of a leading lighting design textbook, which we will link in the show notes. We have a lot of information to get to, so we're just going to dive right in. But thank you to our sponsors, Hinkley and Kitchler Lighting. Jason, thank you so much for joining us today. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So let's start with CRI. Can you tell us what can CRI do? That's an excellent question because there are a lot of misunderstandings or misperceptions about CRI. Essentially, when we have light sources that are not incandescent or daylight, their spectrums vary, right? So we've many of us are familiar with the spiky spectrum of a, of a fluorescent tube, for instance. And so what CRI attempts to do is to give us some understanding of how that spectrum because it's not the same as our familiar incandescent or daylight, how it might affect color rendering. How might it affect, you know, do blues look as blue as they should? Do reds look as red as they should? Unfortunately, it's a very simple system that only gives us one number. So what CRI does is it looks at the spectrum of a light source, compares it to either a familiar incandescent or a familiar daylight spectrum, and then asks, how well do those two match? In the lighting biz, we call that fidelity. And that's the only thing that CRI does. It tells us, is the light source in question a perfect match for its reference, in which case it would have a CRI of 100? Or is it not a perfect match, in which case it will have a CRI of something below 100? A lot of people use CRI as a stand-in for color quality or lighting quality or acceptability or naturalness, it's not intended to be used for any of those purposes. It is strictly a fidelity measurement. So if the CRI is 100, that's one thing. But if a CRI is, say, 92, what you're saying is that 92 kind of combines a whole bunch of different measurements into one and you can't tell what's closer and what's further away. So the blue might be one number and the red might be another number and it makes a difference. Yes, exactly. There are eight color samples that are used in the evaluation for CRI. And when you get a single number, such as 92, of course, there's information missing, which is exactly what you pointed out, Liz. Like, so does that 92 mean that Reds look good, but blues don't? Does it mean that blues look good, but reds don't? You can't dig into the math to find out 
right? It's just a single number. We know that the color appearance of a group of objects is going to look somewhat different, but we have no idea how. So TM30 aims to fix that. It does. And it does. <laughs> so besides just fidelity, what are some of the other things we'd want to measure and how does it all work together? What are the different things? Within the TM30 framework, the three things that we have researched that shows that it does tell us or predict are the fidelity of a light source. So very similar to CRI, but a different test and a harder test. So we get different scores for the same light source. Um, preference. So it turns out that generally speaking, people prefer a light source that slightly enhances the saturation of colors mm. compared to the reference. And the slight enhancement of saturation is particularly important in the red range. Red plays an outsized role in how we are perceiving colors. Let me back you up. Sure. You said measures the difference compared to the reference. What's yes. the reference? Ah, uh, in both CRI and TM30. In order for us to compare two light sources, we need a couple of things. First thing is they have to be the exact same color temperature. Right. Obviously, you can't compare a 3000 Kelvin and a 4000 Kelvin and hope there's going to be any match. That's the first key for what is the reference light source. Within CRI, it is defined as a black body radiator, essentially an incandescent, up to 4999 Kelvin. And 5000 and above, it is a model of daylight. So we have all of the, um, the amount of energy at each wavelength is clearly defined for both the black body radiator and the model of daylight. So just to break it down, we know that the sun, daylight, is going to be bluer, so uh, higher energy, so 5,000 Kelvin and above. So that's why you use the sun for those higher Kelvin sources and a black body radiator, which we're just going to call for sake of this sentence, the incandescent light bulb that people are used to is going to be the reference for anything below that. Yeah. And, you know, CRI was introduced in 1965. So we need to go all the way back. And my understanding of the history of this is that the goal was to select well-known, well-understood light sources as a reference. Mm -hmm. So it's not that daylight is perfect or that incandescent is perfect. But that in 1965, it was a well-known, well-understood reference. Okay. Okay. Sorry to interrupt. Please continue. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no problem. So then TM30 retains those same references, essentially incandescent and daylight. But it makes a couple of corrections. I think the most important is that between 4001 Kelvin and 4999, mm -hmm. we are blending incandescent and daylight so that there's not a single point at which you jump from one light source to another. And that is really important in today's world with tunable light, ah. right? where you could have radically different CRI values at, let's say, 4,900 and 5,100 mm. because you've changed the reference. Okay. Got that. And we don't want that to happen. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay, so back to my original question, like f half an hour ago. Um, 
So what are the other things that TM30 looks at compared to the reference that now has been slightly adjusted and corrected to blend as you go up the Kelvin scale? I guess there are two sets of answers. One set of answer is what are the values that are calculated? Because there are 149 of them. And no, you don't need to know all 149. <laughs> That's good. But the other thing is that what have the studies told us we can do with some of those measurements? And so that's what I was saying earlier about fidelity, right? We have both a fidelity measurement that we call RF. You can think of RF as rendering fidelity. But then we also have three what we call design intents. And so this is one of the most exciting things about TM30, which is that with CRI, you only have one design intent, and that design intent is high fidelity. But there are, as I was saying, there's lots of evidence that tells us that people prefer colors that are slightly more saturated. So we can use several of the TM30 results and combine them into a preference measurement. So for instance, we might want high fidelity. We might want colors to look exactly as expected in a healthcare setting where a doctor is looking at your skin and looking at your nails and looking at your eyes, right? We don't want to distort colors. But in a hospitality setting, in a restaurant, for instance, wouldn't it be great to be able to know that there's a light source out there that just slightly boosts all the colors or most of the colors and everybody just, you know, just likes it more <laughs> with TM30 and the preference design intent, we can do that. And then the third design intent that we have verified through research is what we call the vividness design intent. And that is where just rather than a slight increase of a certain range of colors to make things more pleasant or more preferred, we are trying to make all of the colors just really come to life. And the great example that I like to give is if you were lighting the Skittles store in Times Square, forget <laughs> about fidelity, right? You want all those candies to just explode in color. And so that's where the vividness design intent might come through. Beyond that, you know, we do have within those 149 measures, there are ways of looking at just globally is a light source increasing the saturation of colors compared to the reference, of course, decreasing on average or having no effect. And we refer to that as the gamut measurement or RG. We break up the entire world of colors into 16 different chunks. And so if you have curiosity about a particular color range, let's say you're lighting a corporate headquarters and you want to make sure that the wall that is painted with the corporate color mm. is going to look the way it should, mm -hmm. we can look at just that particular color range. Right. And how that light source, I mean, today when I say light source, I really mean LED, how that LED is revealing just that particular color or color range. So there's a lot built into it. It can be as easy as use it the same way that you used CRI, just look at fidelity. But we can look at a lot more if we've got the information. And to recap, the main ones are fidelity. Both CRI and TM30 have that, but also preference, which tells you if it's a little more saturated or a little less saturated. Is that right so far? Well, preference is about asking if colors are slightly more saturated. Okay. So um, preference is slightly more saturated. Within a, within a range, increasing saturation becomes more preferred. There Got is it. an edge to that range where now things start to look cartoonish. And vividness, how is vividness different from saturation then? Within the preference design intent, mm -hmm. 
we're looking at a couple of different things. We're looking at fidelity because we don't want that to get too far off. Got it. We're looking at average increase in the apparent saturation of colors. We're also looking at the change in saturation, just of reds, because that's really a key to how we see sort of all colors. So it's a combination of those. Your light source needs to score within those three different things in a, in a particular way. Okay. With the vividness design intent, really the only question is, are we increasing saturation and how much? Okay. So preference is a much more compound kind of measurement than vividness is. Got it. Okay. Thank you. Good. <laughs> so essentially, TM30 is just providing way more information about what the light source is doing and then leaving that information open for interpretation based on what you would prefer in a specific setting. Exactly. Nowhere in TM30 does it say this particular application should seek a light source with these values, you know, these calculated values. That's not that's not its purpose. And frankly, the color committee of the IES that developed TM30, their role is in sort of the scientific analysis of color and color rendering. Their role is not to write recommendations for designers on what they should be doing in a given application. So we publish the information. It then becomes up to designers to use and interpret that information if they care to. And it's up to the other committees at the IAS, the application committees, to use their experience and their judgment to make recommendations within their documents. So the document on lighting libraries, the document on lighting healthcare facilities, it's up to those people to determine what TM30 values are most appropriate for their application. We'll get back to our conversation in just a minute, but first a message from our sponsors. This year, Hinkley is celebrating a century of style. That's 100 years in business. Hinkley is proud to be a fourth generation family company with the mission of providing customers with exceptional lighting and ceiling fan products. They understand the passion their customers feel for their homes and are dedicated to helping them realize their vision. Learn more about the company, including some incredible charity work they do at Hinkley.com. Kitchler Lighting is more than just a lighting company. They're a bring people together company focused on strengthening and growing relationships. They're constantly innovating, creating on-trend designs, and delivering high-quality product. Learn more and find inspiration and ideas at kitchler.com. So this is all really applicable if you are a lighting designer who's doing a hugely complex place where you want a 200-page report on your light bulbs. But if I'm going to the store to buy a new light bulb for my chandelier, they are not going to attach a 200-page report to each light bulb they're selling. So how do we use this on a, you know, residential, I need to buy a light bulb kind of a level? Or do uh... we? Well, I mean, you you certainly can. So within TM30, there are three alternate graphics, roughly a quarter page, a third page, and a full page that it generates that manufacturers can choose to use in their documentation if they want. So mm. it doesn't have to be 200 pages. It could be one. Um, <laughs> the tricky part is that, yeah, you do need to have a lot of background knowledge in order to understand and apply this information. Even today in the lighting facts label, we don't actually say 
CRI, right? We say something like color quality and we give it a number because even the idea of color fidelity is a little much for a homeowner. We're still struggling with how to get this information incorporated into packaging in a way that somebody who's completely new to this can understand it without having to take a class, right? Nobody wants to take a class on buying light bulbs. <laughs> well, maybe some of our listeners might. But... <laughs> but I think that in places like lighting showrooms, for instance, the showroom employees don't need to sit through 12 hours of education in order to understand the basics of TM30 and to be able to maybe make broad suggestions or broad recommendations that say things like, hey, you know, what many people like in their dining room is an LED that enhances reds or an LED that meets the requirements of the preference category, although maybe you don't even say it, but you know that that's what you're trying to recommend. And then can we get a TM30 report from a manufacturer? It is becoming increasingly easy to do that. I'm seeing more and more manufacturers of fixtures including TM30 reports, sometimes in the fixture cut sheet, sometimes as a second PDF that you want to download. I've had a lot of success just speaking to the manufacturers, listen, I want to recommend this fixture or I want to specify it. You don't have a TM30 report and you get one. I'm not seeing it as much for replacement lamp manufacturers. Mm -hmm. And that's, that is frustrating for me personally, I mean, I have a light meter that measures the spectrum and gives me TM30 values. So I will go into a dark room with a light bulb that I bought and test it. And then either it meets the requirements of my project or it doesn't. At this point, perhaps that's a thing that some larger showrooms might want to consider. Mm. Or they just need to press the manufacturers, right? This is useful information that can make a difference in my sales, that can make a difference in the satisfaction of my customers with the products that they buy. I need this. Provide it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you can't provide it, I'm going to go find somebody else who can. It's something you mentioned reminded me of a question I was going to ask. Conducting the test can be a very simple thing. You've got a light meter. You go in a dark room and point it at the light source and boom, you get all the values you need. And that's a TM30. So, right. So technically the device is a spectro radiometer. Uh-huh. So it's more than just a foot candle meter, right? It analyzes the spectrum and looks at the amount of energy at each wavelength and then takes those numbers and it has built into its software that like tells me TM30 values, CRI, values for horticulture, values for television lighting, right? It, it'll, I can pick whatever tests I want to run. Yeah. I mean, it did cost me $2,000. These are not $99 devices. But, you know, once you hit a certain professional level, they become invaluable. And it's something that a manufacturer can have. It's not some complicated four-month-long test. You've got to submit it to somebody else to do it. This is something that you can just get the information with the right equipment. It's not hard to get this information. I certainly am not using laboratory quality equipment. Mm. But I also don't need accuracy down to a tenth of a point. Right. Right, right. Point, right. <laughs> so as long as I'm accurate to within one or two or three points, I'm content. That tells me, you know, enough. Right. So it, the device I have is handheld. I just go into a dark room, turn on the light bulb that I'm curious about, point it at the light bulb, see what the results are. 
So you talk about getting this information on packaging and there's a like single page, you know, tear sheet that a manufacturer can generally provide. I'm, I'm just wrestling with the idea of how do we get this information on the box? It sounds like we don't ever get this information on the box, that there needs to be maybe something that says, you know, enhances reds, great for dining rooms, but for the consumer to use this, that's a little bit of a leap. Maybe the consumer, we've talked about this before, a light bulb used to be really simple. You could buy it at a hardware store and it was going to be a light bulb. And now light bulbs are little bitty computers and they're a lot more complicated and there's a lot going on and they vary a lot more than an old light bulb. So maybe you just need to think, okay, a light bulb isn't something I get from a bin in a hardware store. A light bulb is something I go to a light bulb person to buy because you need to ask more questions than you used to have to ask. That makes a lot of sense. When you have enough experience and knowledge and skill, you can go online and order your own computer. Uh-huh. But <laughs> if you haven't bought a computer before, or if you only buy one once a decade, maybe you need to go to the computer store and get some help. And yes, you're right that the number of spectra that are available now from all of the different LED products, from all of the many, many LED manufacturers is vast. And in the old days, there was one, right? I mean, mm -hmm. an incandescent lamp just makes its light. That's all it does. So it is harder if you're a person who pays attention to color and is sensitive to what light bulbs are doing to the color in your environment. That is definitely not everybody. But mm -hmm. yes, I mean, if you're a person who is affected by that, cares about that, pays attention to that, and you're a consumer, it is not a bad idea to try to get some help in identifying a manufacturer that you're always going to use. Maybe that's it. Maybe mm -hmm. just like find the company whose products render colors the way you like, just buy that product. Mm -hmm. I would argue that the people who don't think they're sensitive to color will respond differently to an environment when it's lit well, when it's beautiful, when everything is really dialed in compared to you know, walking into a room with a bunch of fluorescent tubes on the ceilings. Even if you don't realize it, I do think it matters, even if you're not registering it consciously. But that is true. We have plenty of studies that have shown us that while people are, generally speaking, content with what they buy in terms of light bulbs, right? Like, okay, this is the way my room looks. This is fine. I'm ready to move on with the rest of my life. <laughs> When you show them alternatives that have better color rendering characteristics, they say, oh, wow, I can get this. I'm not going back. One thing I found interesting, I was going through some of the articles and background you sent us was you said something in there about TM30 not being, I think, like frozen in time. The color space that it encompasses could adjust over time and be kind of changed as we move forward into the future and maybe we change some of the values as needed to improve upon it. Is that accurate? It is. CRI has had a couple of minor tweaks to it since 1965, but for all intents and purposes, it is 1965 technology. And the organization that wrote it and that maintains it for a variety of reasons, seems to be unable to implement any changes. Obviously, vision science, color science is not frozen in 1965. We know a great deal more now than we did. And so 
one of the things that was important to us when we began to talk about and to build TM30 was that it not become another CRI that's frozen in time. Mm -hmm. That if we're going to do this, we're going to stick with it, we're going to maintain it, and we're going to, when science tells us that we should, we're going to make changes to incorporate the latest science about how we see and experience colors. That has been sort of made formal and official now that the Illuminating Engineering Society is the organization approved by ANSI, uh, the American National Standards Institute, to author documents on lighting. Because one of their requirements is that every document that you author has to be revisited. And I believe it's on a three-year cycle. So every three years, you either have to affirm this is accurate and this is the way it should continue to be, or you have to implement changes. TM30 was introduced in 2015. In 2018, we made a couple of changes. We introduced some new graphics and the preference, vividness, fidelity, design intent system was appended to it. We're making a couple of tweaks to the math right now. So next year, you'll see another version that makes some minor corrections. And we're having conversations about whether we shouldn't include other things, such as a high fidelity light source is not necessarily the best one for detecting really minor shifts in color. Right? So that's not a big deal for you and I, but if you are in an industry where color matching is part of your job, how do you know if you're, the light source you're using is really good for that? Talking about other things that we may be adding into it in the future. So I fully expect that it is going to grow and expand and be more useful to more people over time. That's the longest answer to the shortest question, right? <laughs> no, but that's awesome. It's good to know. So if you are, say, maybe you're in a showroom environment selling lighting, do you have any recommendations if they don't really understand TM30 or this is new to them, how they could kind of jump into it and familiarize themselves? There are a lot of resources online at this point. The Department of Energy has hosted a number of webinars, so you could do a search on the DOE website. The IES has hosted a number of webinars, so those are available some of them available for free, some of them available behind a paywall. It's not a lot of money. And many of us in the Colored Committee continue to do presentations around the country. Last week at Light Fair, there was a TM30 seminar in September at Archlight Summit in Dallas. There will be two days where I think we're doing four seminars to try to capture a lot of people and explain it to them. So there are a lot of resources out there, I would say. Google TM30 and see what comes up. We'll put some in our show notes too for those who want to dive deeper. Right. Well, I think in a way we only scratched the surface, but I do think we got some good information out there. Is there anything else that you think is important to note? You know, to me, the, the thing that is most exciting about TM30 is just the way that it gives me more information about a light source and how that's going to affect the colors in a room so that I can do more than just target high fidelity. It certainly has made my life more complicated as a lighting designer, <laughs> but it makes me more excited about the outcome and it makes me more excited about certain projects. And I think that if you work in a showroom and you have the inclination and you have the right kind of clientele, you can really make an impact on their homes. I think really what we want to do is look for higher fidelity 
to render colors more the way we expect. That's the one sentence simplest way of approaching this problem of color rendering. Thanks for taking the time to explaining it to us. I learned a lot. This was a nice breakdown of TM30 because I was afraid after reading some of the information that you said, we were not going to make up any progress, but I feel like we did. <laughs> yeah, that paragraph that I told you I had to reread a few times, I now understand after this. So <laughs> Good. I'm happy that more people can understand this system and hopefully they can put it to use. We hope so too. I was a little afraid after kind of prepping for this episode that we were just going to make a hash of it, that it was going to be so complicated that we weren't going to be able to break it down at all. But Jason was really good about breaking it down in a way that starts to make sense. I mean, there's a long journey to go to really be able to use any of this, but I feel like I kind of know what the basic idea is. Yeah, me too. I had a very, very basic idea going into it. <laughs> right. And as I said, he had sent some kind of resources that I was reading through. And there were parts of it that I did not understand at all that this conversation did clarify for me. So that's an excellent start. And hopefully our listeners feel the same way. I think from the standpoint of using this in a practical setting, if you're a lighting designer, it's definitely something you want to start familiarizing yourself with if you aren't already. And then I think in a showroom setting, like we talked about, finding some of those basic things like, hey, typically in this setting in the home, you're going to want more saturation. And this is a great light source for that. Just having that that understanding, that's going to start to differentiate you really from going to buy a bulb in a hardware store or something yeah. like that. People that care about their appearance of their home are I think going to start becoming more and more aware of that and hopefully going to lighting showrooms for that knowledge and and to get something that looks great. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Keep an eye on ALA's webinar offerings because I have a feeling a TM30 webinar is coming down the pike. But in the meantime, we'll put some resources in the show notes that'll help you get started on getting your arms around this. Yes. And Jason is another one of our speakers that we were connected with through the Lighting Agora, which if you listen to our last episode, our guest was also through that as well. And mm -hmm. we have some seminars coming up in Dallas during Lightovation with one of them is with Tom Butters and he'll be he's from the Lighting Agora and he will be talking about lighting in the aging eye and how you can improve your space through improved lighting. And just to reiterate, aging eye doesn't mean 90 years old. Aging eye means 45 years old. So it applies to a lot of folks. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and if you haven't yet, time is of the essence when it comes to registering for ALA Conference. So go to alaconference.com. You don't want to miss the opportunity to book your hotel room in the conference hotel. It's in beautiful Lake Tahoe and space is limited so make sure you go online and register and book your hotel room and go to alaconference.com to see uh, as we start putting the speakers up there it's really a great lineup this year so come on out to lake tahoe and hang out with us absolutely thank you again to our sponsors hinkley and kitchler lighting stay brilliant <laughs> <laughs>